Welcome back to the final episode of our month-long series on gentle nutrition. I am especially excited for today's episode, and I hope that you are too, because we are about to dive into answering several questions that many of you submitted. We got questions submitted in SpeakPipe, which if you do not know what SpeakPipe is, or if you didn't know that you had the ability to submit your own questions, I will absolutely link that up in the show notes because SpeakPipe is the way that you guys can submit questions for all kinds of topics and questions that you would love to hear answered on the Joy-Filled Eater podcast. You can find that link in the show notes or head to speakpipe.com slash JFE podcast. We're going to be dropping additional episodes throughout the rest of the year, answering your questions occasionally on the podcast. So be sure to head there and submit whatever question you might have. Now, let's go ahead and dive into the first question submitted by Jeannie. Hello, Brittany. This is uh, Jeannie. My question for you is, do you need to eat dairy in order to recover? Is, Is that the only place to get calcium for the bones? And is there other things? Because I'm really rather scared of dairy. Um, Thank you very much. I hope to hear this answer, this question answered. Um, My second question also is, do you have to eat meat? Because I don't eat meat as well. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay, so Jeannie, you are wanting to know, do I have to eat dairy in order to recover? Okay, this was the first part of her question. She also wanted to know, do I have to eat meat? And then what are some places that we can also get calcium? Okay, Jeannie, I want to give you a two-part answer to this question. The first part being the physical side of recovery. What does that look like? So no, you do not technically have to consume dairy in order to get the calcium that you need for your body to physically recover. However, I would be totally amiss if I said, no, you don't need dairy in order to recover because recovery is not just about physical health. There are so many different reasons we do need calcium, and I'm going to get to those in just a second. But when you really want to be fully recovered from a disordered or anxiety-ridden relationship with food, and you have some concerns around dairy, especially when it comes to the fat content, that was what you mentioned. Like, I don't currently consume dairy or meat because I'm worried about the fat. There are so many incredible roles that fat plays in our body, and I'm going to jump into those a little bit more later as well. But for now, what I will say is, in addition to the fact that, yes, we can get calcium from other sources, I would really encourage you to push yourself, especially with some support, get the support that you need, maybe from a dietitian, to help you challenge that fear around dairy and meat specifically. So um, that being said, as far as calcium goes, we don't only need calcium in order to have bone health. Calcium is a huge component of our bones, and so we absolutely do need it. However, it does a lot of other things too. In addition to contributing to the health of our bones and teeth, calcium also plays a major role in helping your muscles contract. It helps the blood clotting process. So if you get an injury, a scratch, a scrape, it's going to help that blood flow to stop so that you can, that, that wound can heal. And it's also a hugely impactful part of contributing to the electrical signals that make your heart beat. Hello. Yes, that is a life-sustaining process. So calcium is extremely important. And when we don't have enough calcium consumed in our diet, our body kind of goes into survival mode and it will pull it from 
your bones. Okay, so it'll pull it from your bones to go through your bloodstream so that your blood calcium levels remain closer to normal. Okay, when it comes to sources of calcium, yes, you can get these outside of dairy. However, please do keep in mind that we have to consider something called bioavailability. This is essentially just a fancy word, meaning depending on the source of calcium you're consuming, you're going to absorb differing amounts. Okay, so dairy, for example, has about a 30% bioavailability rate, meaning let's say you consume 100 milligrams of dairy in a day, you're probably only going to absorb about 33 milligrams of it, so about a third. Okay, or maybe a little less. I think that's the 30%. So you're going to consume about 30-ish milligrams, okay? These bioavailability rates vary food to food. So some other places where you can get calcium that are not from dairy include things like winter squash. So think like you know the bright orange butternut squash. Um, edamame or tofu is a really fantastic plant-based protein source that also includes a fairly high level of calcium. It gives you about a third of what you need for the day when you have a full serving. Um, the amounts vary when you go to things like plant-based milks and juices. Most of those do not naturally include calcium, but they are fortified, meaning that calcium has been added to it to try to amp up that nutritional benefit. So you may see things like orange juice, almond milk, other things where it says um, fortified with calcium. You're also going to get calcium in certain other types of proteins like salmon, especially when it has been cooked with the bones in. Okay, that's an important part of that to increase the calcium amount in it. Almonds can give you a small percentage of your recommended daily intake of calcium. And then leafy greens have a pretty high amount. So think like kale or Swiss chard. Those are both great sources of calcium when it comes to those plant-based sources. All right, let's move on to question number two. And this one comes from Megan. I have a question about eating something sweet every day. So I know there really isn't anything wrong with eating something sweet every single day. I know I have to, but then at the same point, I also know that if you do eat something sweet every day, your body also gets used to it and sometimes expects that sweetness, I guess. And like the same is true with like, I feel like drinks. Like if I had Dunkin', like a Dunkin' sweet drink every single day, I'd probably get used to it, right? And, you know, I think it's fine, like, for exposures, and, you know, it's awesome to incorporate that as part of, like, a food freedom journey, but, like, in the long run, it's, like, hard because is that really beneficial that, you know, my body is getting used to that, and maybe I don't need that every day. So hopefully that makes sense. Thank you. Okay, so Megan is asking, essentially, is it beneficial and is it okay to eat something sweet every day? So Megan, you mentioned like you're concerned that you might, your body might start expecting this or you might get into the habit and is that okay? So I want to give you a couple of things to consider with this. Number one, yes, you can absolutely give yourself permission to have something sweet every day. That is something that I enjoy as well most days. And so if you're, if you're concerned about habit forming, then what I want to really um, just encourage you with is that we want to uncover maybe an additional need that we might be wanting that sweet to meet for us. So let's say um, I was talking about this with a private coaching client recently, and she was saying how she tends to have something sweet in the evenings and how that sort of become habit. 
there's nothing wrong with that. But if it feels almost like an obligation or like I can't go to bed without this or I feel like this is kind of just part of my routine and I expect it and it doesn't feel okay not to do it or I kind of feel this compulsion to have it, then you want to see is that snack or even just the consumption of it, maybe it's not the food itself, is it potentially trying to fulfill another need or is it kind of accidentally becoming something that you are relying on? So with that you might want to ask yourself, okay, maybe one of the needs I'm trying to meet with this is comfort, or maybe it is pleasure. Maybe I didn't really have a whole lot of great or enjoyable things happen today, and I'd like something enjoyable. Okay. Our needs are valid. They're, they absolutely, you know, we want to try to have those needs met and that's natural. So something that you can do if you feel like it's becoming habit forming in that way that you're relying on it rather than just enjoying it is to Number one, you could try having that sweet at a different time of the day and see see what that feels like. Or in the evening, you can also, once you figure out, hey, is, is it comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it something else? To go, what what is that need I'm trying to meet? And how else might I meet that need in this moment? Now, if you're not sure what need that the behavior, in this example, the one Megan just gave is having something sweet, but maybe for you, it's something different. I'm going to link in the show notes um, the needs assessment that I created. And this is a free resource that you guys can download that has seven different needs that I see a lot of food and body related behaviors um, being used in order to try to to meet. So you take this assessment and figure out, okay, which one or more of these needs am I trying to meet with a specific behavior? And that can really help you kind of get, get a leg going or go in the right direction to figure out how could I still get that need met, but maybe in a way that benefits or serves me better. So thank you so much for your question, Megan, and let's go on to the next one. This is from Grace Catherine. When you've been in recovery for a while, what does it look like to grow in the grace of honoring both when you're hungry and when you're full? And I think with that, just wondering... Yeah, just like what is the balance of that and how to sense and honor your body in kind of the gray area situations, I guess. Okay, so Grace, you were asking like, how do I honor this gray area? What does it look like to grow both in hunger and in fullness? And I'm going to give you the messy middle gray area answer here. And that is trial and error. Okay, it takes a while to develop consistency um, and clear recognition of body cues. And even we're going to have our days, even though like I have very consistent, consistently regulated hunger and fullness cues, but I have certain days where maybe I'm more busy or maybe something has happened that has, you know, really got my focus and has distracted me. And because of that, I'm likely going to be a little less in tune with what's going on in my body. So it's okay that it's not necessarily perfect every day. We, we can't expect perfection. There's going to be days where we slightly undereat or slightly overeat, or maybe we go way, we way overeat sometimes because we don't realize, we don't even recognize the hunger that's building until we finally stop and relax and go, oh my goodness, it's been X number of hours since I've eaten. So number one, start off with giving yourself grace, knowing that we're not going to get it right every single time and that's okay. But number two, it's that trial and error process of seeing what is my hunger like today? What is my fullness like today? And knowing that that's going to fluctuate a little bit. 
I've already done a couple of episodes on how we can really dive into recognizing when we're hungry. And so I'm going to link those up in the show notes for you guys, but be sure to check out both episodes 20 and 21, where we really do more of a deep dive into an episode 20 on how to know when you're hungry. That episode is all about hunger cues. And then episode one, I had my friend and colleague, Amy Carlson, come on and we talked more about how to get back in tune with your body. We also mentioned in that episode, um, a free app resource that you can download to help you with this process. So be sure to check those out. And then also, this is something I go into, into like a lot of depth in inside the Joyful Eater course. So if you're here and you've been listening to the podcast for a little while and you feel like, hey, I I really want to walk through this process. Like I want the step by step. Having one or two episodes a week is awesome. But Brittany, like I'm ready to dive in. Um, I go into a lot of depth in multiple modules on both hunger and fullness, as well as recognizing the difference in physical versus emotional hunger and fullness and we really start inside the Joyful Eater course with laying a foundation for what you believe about food and your body and nutrition. And we go into things like body image. We go into gentle nutrition and metabolism and all the different behaviors and as well as physical health markers that are contributing to physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So I will link the Joyful Deer course up in the show notes. It is open year round. And if you if you decide you want to hop into the course, you're also welcome to book a couple of individual calls with me if you feel like you just need that extra little boost of personalized coaching. All right, let's move on to question number four. How, how do you know how much protein to eat? Okay, I hear this a lot. Brittany, how do I know how much of whatever I need? Is it you know, how, how much protein do I need or how much total food do I need? And the answer I'm going to give you for this is you've got to look at really working with a registered dietitian. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to limit this to just an RD. This is, this is my background. I have several other friends and colleagues that have other credentials that are specialized in nutrition, but I say this to say you need an educated certified licensed provider because trying to use something like an internet calculator or just Googling how much protein do I need in a day? That is not going to be very helpful for the vast majority of people because there are a lot of things to take into consideration when estimating what your individualized protein requirements are. So again, it's not just, Hey, here's I'm, I'm a female and this is how tall I am, or this is how much I weigh. There's a lot of things to consider. So working one-on-one with an RD, even if it's just for a short amount of time, can be really helpful in just getting you the basics to see how much are you eating right now? Is it sufficient? How are, what are some ways that we can tell that or that it's not? One way that I have started offering this is through just mini coaching packages. So I offer a three-session mini one-to-one package. And if this is something that any of you are interested in, I do currently have a few openings for a couple of new private coaching clients. If you're interested in that, you can find the link in the show notes or head to my website to book a free discovery call at brittanybrasselrd.com slash free. All right, let's jump into question number five. 
I'm curious about your thoughts on whole milk dairy versus low-fat dairy. I know when I was in college and I took nutrition, there was still, like, a lot of questions up in the air whether, like, whole milk dairy, like, really affected cholesterol or not. And, I mean, I personally incorporate low-fat and whole milk dairy into my diet because I think they're both tasty and delicious. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Like, where do you see the research going? Like, do you think whole milk and fat dairy really have as much impact on our health as what people make it seem? I mean, I know research is always changing, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Okay. I am absolutely a science nerd. And I love this question because I was talking about this recently and realized I, I haven't seen any new research. I haven't personally looked into a lot of the new research on this in the last couple of years because everything I've seen um, to date has all had a a very similar outcome. At least in the last like five to 10 years, I've seen a lot of the same results. And so I pulled a couple of articles. Um, One was just published uh, in 2021. Another one was a couple of years before that. And both again showed the same thing. So I love this question. Thank you so much for submitting it. Essentially, it's what does the research say about the impact of cholesterol, especially when it comes to different types of milk. So low-fat milk, um, whole milk, these kind of things. So the first article that I looked at, um, it was a study that was done over a period of three weeks, okay? But it was a fairly small study. It was maybe like 17 or 18 people. So this is one thing we, we need to take into consideration when we're looking at research. If you have ever Googled, um, what does research on you know cholesterol say? There are a lot of things we want to look at in research articles to, to try to get a better idea on the validity of them. Okay. So this was a small study that was done. However, what they did find is that those who consumed whole milk, as opposed to this one was skim milk, um, their total cholesterol, no significant difference between the two. Their LDL cholesterol, which is what most people hear as like quote unquote bad cholesterol. This is the one that is much less helpful when it comes to your heart health or cardiovascular disease. No significant changes noted there in total or LDL cholesterol compared with skim milk. However, those who consumed whole milk did show an increase in their HDL cholesterol. Now, if you're not familiar with HDL, this is kind of the opposite of LDL. It stands for high density lipoprotein, and essentially it is the good cholesterol or the healthy cholesterol. A lot of people have their HDL levels are way too low. And so those who actually consumed the whole milk compared to the skim milk actually showed an increase or improvement in their HDL cholesterol. So I had not seen that before. That was new. And I loved that. Um, I think that's a, a huge benefit. And there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Don't have time to go into all of those today. Um, if you're interested in that article, feel free to DM me over on Instagram and I'm happy to send you the link. Another article that I looked at was a larger study. Um, This one had about 72 participants. And these, I I specifically picked this article because all of the participants had metabolic syndrome. So essentially they were already having some metabolic related issues. And they did this study over a longer period of time. This one was 12 weeks long. And they took all of their participants and they divided them up into three groups. They had one group that was given limited amounts of dairy, meaning they had a serving a day less than three times a week. They had a a group a day that had, they had one group where they had about three and a third servings a day, which is about how much you need to meet the, um, the RDA or the kind of daily 
recommendation or requirement for calcium. And they did that for um, a, a group of people for low fat milk and then another for um, whole milk. And the results were very much the same as the previous article that I mentioned. This one, however, there was no intervention effect that they found. Nothing significant that showed up um, as far as their LDL, total cholesterol, or really much on HDL. It was very insignificant. So between these three groups of people, regardless of whether they had low-fat milk or whole milk, they had no decline in cardiovascular health, no bad cholesterol changes, nothing like that. So this is very consistent with the other research that I have seen over the last five to 10 years on there are so many factors that contribute to cholesterol, but they're primarily related to our genetics. So in in college, one of the terms we learned for this was familial cholesterolemia. <laughs> okay, essentially meaning we had these changes in our cholesterol levels primarily based on our family genetics. So if you struggle with high cholesterol, it may not always be a result of your diet, okay? And oftentimes, I, I see high cholesterol. There's a, a great section on this in the book, Sick Enough, by Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani um, from the Gaudiani Clinic. And your cholesterol levels can actually increase when you are in a state of anorexia or when you struggle with anorexia. Again, I don't have time to go into all of that in this episode, but I hope you guys understand the takeaway on this is there is no major significant difference um, that has been noted in consumption of low-fat dairy versus whole milk. All right, we've got two questions left, so let's jump into number six. Um, oil tends to scare me or things with like higher fat uh, content, and I was kind of wondering if any of that is actually important to actually eat. Can you just live without all of the oil and without all of the fat in the foods. Um, so that, that was my question. Okay. This question is not uncommon. Um, I hear lots of questions and lots of fears, um, a lot of fears and concerns expressed when it comes to fat intake. And oftentimes I think for a lot of my clients, it starts off as we just have this negative connotation of what fat means. And so I'm going to encourage you, if that is something you struggle with, if it's just that word, there's a difference in fat consumption in our diet and fat that is in our body. Neither are bad. Both have a ton of incredible benefits. Okay. Several of which I want to go over with you because my short answer to this question is no, you cannot live without the fat. Okay. There are varying sources of fat, right? There are some that we talked about that give us more nutritional bang for our buck, okay, that can do a lot for our bodies. Yes, there are a variety of fats, but we cannot live without them. For most people, we actually need about twice as much fat in our diet as we do protein, okay, depending on, again, your individual body, your lifestyle. Um, but most people need 35-ish percent, give or take, of their total daily energy intake from fat. And this is for a lot of reasons. Fat helps to maintain and regulate our body temperature. So it preserves heat and it really insulates our body from environmental changes. It's also really essential for protecting our organs. Okay. A lot of, a lot of people complain about their stomach air and say, Oh, Brittany, I just wish I had less fat on my stomach. However, yes, there are times where, um, our body composition can change and maybe we don't always love it, 
if we have too little body fat percentage, that can be really dangerous on our on our muscles and on our organs. Okay. All of our life-giving, life-sustaining organs outside of our brain and spinal cord are housed in our midsection. So you've got things like your heart, your kidneys, your liver. All of those can be at danger of trauma, injury, and shock if they're not being adequately held in place and protected. Okay. That's also helped to maintain our cell structure. I will not go into the nerdy science of this, but I love it. We go into this these types of functionalities more so inside the joy filled eater course. Um, but again, fats just play all kinds of roles in our cellular structure, part of which too, the fat in food helps to supply energy that we need, especially for active muscles. It's also extremely necessary in our diet in order to absorb fat soluble vitamins. So there are four specific vitamins that are fat soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Okay, you're going to find these in a variety of foods, but if you don't have some fat in the food that you're eating, so let's say it's a salad, right? Let's say it's like a side salad or an entree salad, and you consume that with, maybe it has no dressing, no cheese, no nuts, no source of fat in it. You're basically losing out on a ton of nutritional benefit because you can't absorb those vitamins without adequate fat on your stomach at the same time. That also serves as a long as a longer lasting fuel source for us, especially for like lower intensity movement. So if you're doing a lot of walking during the day, um, if you just need to be up and focused and working on something, it serves as a, a fantastic longer lasting fuel source for that. And it really helps us to maintain our fullness level between meals. It does that by helping to slow the digestion process down, which keeps you from having those like blood sugar spikes and dips and riding that blood sugar roller coaster. So I say all of this to say fat is so important. Again, we go into this a lot more in depth inside of the joyful eater course, but there's also a lot of risk if you don't have enough of it. And when I say when you don't have enough, if you don't consume enough in your diet, regardless of what you feel like your body composition is, you still need it in your diet. You're going to be at increased risk of bone fractures and osteoporosis without it. If you are a female, and especially if you're premenopausal, you can have a ton of hormonal dysregulation and menstrual cycle disruption, which further puts you at risk for bone-related injuries. So this was a little bit longer of an answer, but I wanted all of you to hear if you ever struggle with fears around consuming sources of fats, they're so extremely necessary and helpful. And if you need a little language hack, I had a client once that just the word fat scared her. It had been used in a lot of negative ways in her home growing up. And so we just came up with a totally emotionally neutral word that had nothing to do with fat. And anytime she was talking about fat and food, she started using that word, at least until she developed a healthier relationship with consuming consuming fats and food. So if that's the case for you, pick a random word, plug it in instead, and start enjoying those types of, of foods and different types of oils and sources of fat in your diet. All right, let's wrap up this episode with question number seven. I have a question about eating out. So I know a lot of times, like I do have blood sugar issues, so it is helpful for me to like balance my plate. But you know, there are some times where I just really want the crepes with all the whipped cream. And, you know, in that instance, it's not necessarily always balanced. So I'm just curious what your approach is. Like, how do you balance, um, 
what you know is going to make you feel good. So like a meal with like, let's say starch, protein and veggies versus like a meal out that you really want to eat if it doesn't have all those components. So I'm just curious. Thanks. Okay, I feel like this question is such a fantastic way to wrap up this episode because we've been talking about gentle nutrition all month long, and this question has to do with essentially how do I consider gentle nutrition, but also if I'm eating out or I'm hanging out with friends, is that always necessary? Do I balance it out? What do I do if I don't really have all those components there? So thank you so much for submitting this question. There are a couple things we want to consider here. There's a quote, I want to say it comes out of the intuitive eating book um, that I like that I think we can adapt. Okay. So whether you are eating at home or eating out, there's this concept of when you are considering, when you are choosing food based on nutrition, consider satisfaction. And when you are choosing your food based on satisfaction, consider nutrition. Okay. So for example, let's say you are going out to eat and you find that I think that the example in here was like something sweet, right? Like you find something that you want, maybe it's a dessert, maybe it's a side dish. And so we don't want to um, let eating out consist of a bunch of rigid food rules, but we also do want to feel good afterwards. So you kind of just have to get to know your body and figure out what, like, where's that line between what feels good and where I'm going to me start feeling not so great. So what that might look like is looking at the menu when you're eating out and picking those one or two things that really jump out at you. That you're like, oh, I really would love to try this. I really would love to have this. And then look at that and ask yourself this question we've been using throughout the month of August as we're considering gentle nutrition and say, what's missing and what could be added to it in order to maybe balance out some of the nutritional content. So let's say the thing that you're wanting to pick is like, Chili cheese fries. Okay, we're getting fries while we're eating out. That is what I've been looking for or to at this particular restaurant. And so that's what I'm going to go with. Awesome. It's, it's something very satisfying, right? So you can look at it and you can go, okay, so the fries are potatoes. I know I'm going to get some carbohydrate from that. If they're chili cheese, I'm going to get maybe a little bit of protein and some fat. So we've already got some of all of it, but it's probably depending on the restaurant. You could probably use a little bit more protein to help that balance out. And we're missing some color. So maybe you go, I'm going to get the chili cheese fries. And then maybe I'm going to get something with some color to go on the side and add a little protein to it if that's an option. So maybe that is a side salad with some chicken on top. So maybe you get like a chicken Caesar salad to go with it. Maybe it is, maybe it's a cooked vegetable. Maybe it is a side of fruit. It could be a hundred different things depending on where you are and what the restaurant is. And so that is one thing that you can consider. However, I do want to also remind you guys that if this is something you've been concerned about, you don't have to have every meal perfectly balanced. I talked about this on another um, podcast episode on someone else's show recently that even though, yes, we do want to leave meals feeling well, something else we want to consider is what does our nutritional content or intake look like over the course of a day, maybe even over the course of a week, okay? Not every single meal needs to, and it's not always realistic for every meal to be balanced. If I'm going to go out to eat, I'm probably going to consider nutrition, but it's also, I personally don't like our family just doesn't go out to eat all that often, mostly because of our schedule and because I tend to be a little bit um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I tend to be a bit of a penny pincher. <laughs> so I don't always want to spend a lot of money eating out. But when we do go out, we like nutrition is not typically the first thing on my mind when I'm eating out. I'm looking at what sounds good. What is something I don't typically make at home? And what, what would I really enjoy? So every meal does not have to be perfectly balanced. If you know I'm going to be eating out later, please don't restrict ahead of time. Okay, that's not the goal here. But you may think about some type of food or whatever it is that you might want at the restaurant. And you can just use that as a consideration and go, okay, what will I probably not get at the restaurant? I don't really feel like getting a salad with it. I don't really feel like getting a vegetable. Or they don't really have those as options. Okay, no worries. Consume some of those maybe in another meal or snack during the day. And give yourself that opportunity to get in some nutrients that you might be missing later. Okay. I hope this is, this has been a helpful episode and a helpful series overall. Again, I go through so much of these, these types of questions inside the live version of the joyful eater, as well as the self-paced course. Um, and so if you have other questions you didn't submit, I guarantee we cover so, so much more than this inside the joyful eater. You can check that out in the show notes or head to brittanybraswellrd.com slash course to learn more about the joyful eater course and how you can get involved. Thank you again so much for joining me. If you have especially enjoyed this gentle nutrition series, shoot me a DM over on Instagram and let me know. And don't forget, you can always snag the nourishing menus workshop available on my website as well. That's at brittanybraswellrd.com slash plan. We'll link it again in the show notes for you. But this workshop is specifically for those working on gentle nutrition. It's a workshop that's going to help you in less than three hours time, learn how to plan, prepare, um, and get ready to grocery shop and make nourishing meals at home in really simple ways. Okay. Um, you can go back. I talked about it. I referenced it more in a couple of other episodes throughout the month, but this has been one of my clients when they, once they get uh, a healthier relationship with food and their body, and they're really ready to focus a little bit more on nutrition. This is such a fantastic next step. It is quick. You can consume it in, you know, an afternoon or over a weekend and in less than an hour a week, every week, you can get your menu planned. You can have some ideas on what to keep in stock in your house for super quick meals that don't even require recipes. It is such a fantastic resource. And this is one that I have recently gotten a lot of great feedback on. So check out the nourishing menus workshop, dive into the joy filled eater course. If you're not there yet, if you say, Brittany, I still need some time to work on my relationship with food and maybe my relationship even with my body image. That is your best next step. Okay. All of these resources are going to be linked up in the show notes. And as always, you can DM me over on Instagram if you have any questions at Brittany Braswell RD. Thank you guys so much for joining me today and throughout the month of August for our gentle nutrition series. I cannot wait to see you again on Tuesday. So until next week, friends. May you be filled with joy and abound in hope.